Croeser, welcome. This is another Iris Prize podcast. And they do say you save the best to last. That's nice. Well, we, we could decide that after we've done it, really, <laughs> can't we? But um, I'm joined by Sam and Adam. I'll give you their full name. Your name is Sam Abo. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded a bit French. Mm, Abo. 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 And Adam Ali. And that doesn't sound French. Or does it? <laughs> um, but you've got nice names, obviously, but you're Thank also you. very talented filmmakers. And, um, and you made a film called Baba. Baba. Oh, Baba. Baba. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I, I didn't realise there, there was an accent on the, the whatever. And, and, and winners of the Iris Prize. Yeah, thank you very proud much, guys. Yeah, proud thank you. you. Yeah, well, I haven't been on holiday this year so that you can have the prize money, but there we go. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, you can watch Baba, 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 Baba. Um, on all four mm-hmm. as we speak. Mm-hmm. And it's there with 14 other films. But obviously not as good as your film because you're the winner. Oh, all the films are excellent words in their own right. Well, we are in Brighton <laughs> and we're doing this as live. I we're going to do this as a one take wonder. Could be disastrous. I, I think it's already. <laughs> we're, all, we're already almost there. Um, but of course, when we meet all the other filmmakers, because this is also the end of Iris on the Move, we've mm-hmm. been travelling all over the UK. We're, you're going to be very nice, of course, and civil to the other filmmakers because they they look at you two as. You know the people with thirty thousand pounds to make another short film. <laughs> it's absolutely, it's been absolutely lovely to meet them, and like I think that's the highlight of just being part of the festival and like winning was just being able to go up and down the country to places I'd never been before. Like I hadn't been to Newcastle, hadn't been to Brighton before. Meet lovely, lovely, extraordinary queer people and just talk about films and just connect. And genuinely, like that has just been the highlight. Like it's been yeah. one of my favorite things to do this past year. So I really, I'm really grateful. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful as well because I don't get to meet the filmmakers during the film festival. Mm. I know it sounds ridiculous, but we're too busy running the film festival. Yeah. So traveling across the UK, no way I'm going to meet you in Newcastle, mm-hmm. meeting you. So it feels like meeting you for the first time because you're in strange. every publicity photo we have. <laughs> this very happy face having won the, the, the well, two awards, of course, yeah. Best British as, as well as the, the Iris Prize. We'll talk about the film in a minute, but... Um, I'm always fascinated where the, you know, at what point did you realise that a career in filmmaking or acting, you know, when did that happen? Um, Sam, was there like a moment for you? Uh, I think, um, I mean, I've been making films since I was 11. Um, I got an old laptop that my dad brought home from work that didn't work. It didn't work at all, except the webcam worked. It was like a 240p webcam, which uh, you could use as a camera. So I'd run around the streets holding the laptop. Um, and people would, you know, take the piss at school and whatever, but I just would always making films. And then one of those films that I made, so a film every weekend with my mates became a film every month. And then one of those films won an award at the BFI, the British Film Institute, the Future Film Festival. And the, it was amazing to get an award, but the, the, the kind of biggest prize was I was called a filmmaker for the first time. At, um, just turned 16, I think I was. I was holding this big novelty check, and it says, you know, the check wasn't so important, it was just the kind of most promising filmmaker, you know, you, newcomer award. So I think that was the first time I felt like, okay, actually this this could be something serious. Because I think when you're watching films growing up, you don't think that people could make them behind the scenes because they're just little doses of magic, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the first time I really got into it. Adam, was it the same for you? Did somebody else tell you you are going to be a, an actor or a filmmaker or was it a decision you you made yourself? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think it's quite the opposite. I did, like, there's a lot of resistance in the beginning. But actually, it was um, it was the first time that I'd stepped set, uh, stepped 
um, onto the Coronation Street set, which is obviously local to where I grew up. And I was going there for a screen test and I'd, uh, we were like sort of just having a tour of the place as well. And uh, just seeing it, the behind the scenes of it all, you know, like uh, it's one of those moments that stays with you, like stays with you for the rest of like the rest of your life. And as a kid who was obviously like fascinated and in love with TV and film and all of it, being able to kind of like see it and how like the machine like functions and people running around like people like, you know, making wigs and doing makeup and all of it. Mm. That was like, wow, like, yeah, this is this, you know. This is magic, and I want to be part of it. Yeah. Was that you determined to get in there, or was this part of school, or was it an open day? No. How did uh, you manage to get into college? It was because of uh, sort of uh, the the television workshop Salford, which is where I went to train, um, and what they they're so brilliant actually for uh, sort of kids that you know uh, struggle to pay for like private classes or don't have an agent in that sort of thing, or maybe you know, going to drama school isn't a possibility for them. Uh, they, yeah, take lots of people in and they uh, teach you about improvisation, naturalism, acting, you know, on screen, theater, like the whole thing. And I was doing that like when I was like 13, up until I was 18. And so that was just like the most amazing, amazing experience. Because I was going into all these places, like going to the Royal Exchange and going to the like, Coronation Street set and like meeting people... You know, I, at one point I was asked to do a, to a, a, like a script read through and they were just at this point like doing R&D or like developing a, a screenplay. But one of the exec producers of Harry Potter was there. And in that moment, I was like, like, geez, like I'm sat on the table with like someone who's behind one of like the most magical kind of like most iconic franchises in history. And I was like, no, this I'm doing something and some this is real, you know. Um, but yeah, getting opportunities like that as a kid you know, it really, it solidifies that kind of um, passion and make, you know, in that moment, I was like, I could, this could be a real thing. Well, the real thing we'll talk about right at the end, because obviously I know what you've been doing and um, I'm excited, so I can't imagine what you must be feeling like. But let's go back and forwards a little bit. How did you both meet? How did that happen? I was an extra <laughs> on, his, on his film. He was an extra in one of my films, and then we met, and I didn't remember that he was an extra in one mm -hmm. of the films. It is awkward, I will mm -hmm. admit. But listen, he got the lead role in this film. And kind of, Hang on, you, know, you actually <laughs> forgot who Adam was. No, I didn't. Who could forget who Adam is? Yeah, I, I was just, one of those extras as well that like was really kind of determined to It was get. a nightmare in the edit because yeah. Adam was in every shot in the background. Mm -hmm. So the, you'd be here, and then you'd turn the camera around, and he's also somehow yeah. here. Yeah. So it, really, it was a club scene, and I was wearing this amazing wind uh, windbreaker that I'd bought. Which was also job. annoying because everyone else was kind of wearing average clothing. Yeah, so and like, I, lo I look like the main character, you know. Yeah, and that's when I knew there's a short film in this somewhere. It was yeah. actually genuinely really annoying, but... Um, <laughs> uh, Would you like to describe what he's wearing today? <laughs> he's wearing a beautiful cropped vest number yeah. in... I'm colourblind, so I can't tell the colour. Did you uh, know that? I'm colourblind. Are you colourblind? I'm colourblind, yeah. And so the DP, Mike, on this didn't let me in the grade because I did a kind of pre-grade and he was like, why are all the highlights pink? And I was like, I don't know, I'm gay. Like, he was like, no, no, it just t it's totally off, you know. Um, Is that unusual so, yeah. for somebody in your line of work? Possibly, I'm not sure. I think it's a bit late to change your mind. I think it's cool, though. Yeah. It's one of those really cool things. I about guess you. maybe all my films will have to be black So what colour is, is, is the top then, do you think? This is fun podcast material, isn't it? Because they can tell, obviously. It's a it's a khaki green. It's a 
or a beige? It's actually purple. Or a pale pink. No, it's not purple. How can you tell? Oh my, I can't tell. This is the thing. Stop. It's freaking me out. Okay, that's it. That's, 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 oh, are we doing? <laughs> what color is this? Should be a first trauma, for the podcast. Like what, what color is the top? What color is the top? I don't um, it's know. a confusing yeah, color. It's, it's like a confusing a, color. Like a... Okay, <laughs> shall we move on? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you were the ex- <laughs> so basically Adam was the extra from hell. Yes. And then you, you decided you'd give him a, a role. But well, and then, then we met. So I was doing a play in London, um, and we met to talk about whether this could work, and the role just didn't quite suit. I don't think. But in in that kind of meeting, there was definitely some kind of spark, and then lockdown hit. And we heard about this great opportunity from the BFI and the British Council to do a film, uh, a queer film about international kind of queerness um, with kind of intersectionality at the heart. So whether it's queerness and religion or kind of queerness and gender identity or some of these things. So we just met in lockdown kind of purely. I mean, it wasn't out of boredom. There was definitely a drive there, but there was such a fire from both of us to create again. And we just, it was the most organic process I've ever had, I have to say, because we were just chatting really generally about both of our experiences as kind of queer people and Manchester as a place um, and our home lives and kind of, you know, background growing up um, and then managed to develop this story. Can I just congratulate you for carrying on though, because we are live in, in Brighton <laughs> and it's the Brighton Fringe Festival and that was somebody who couldn't get in, who wanted to be in the audience. Wow. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's a test. Well, I think these are a little bit more directing, but we'll, 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 we'll leave it at that. So oh the, gosh, um, the drama. But yeah. what, because obviously I, I'm hopeless at doing research, and I remember, I think we were in Newcastle, Adam, mm-hmm. and, or Manchester, anyway, well, one of the two, and, um, and it became clear to me that Baba, 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 Baba. is unbelievably personal, isn't it? It's, it's kind of your story. Yeah. So at what point did that become the subject of the film? Because you said there was a desire to work together. Mm. Um, did you know that that's what you wanted? Did you sort of throw that one in or Based, did that happen? In lockdown, I did a lot of reflection and I did a lot of thinking and like, I had a lot of time on my hands to kind of like figure out some things in my mind and in my life. And I was coming to terms with uh, having just come out um, to my family and I was also writing a solo show. So incredibly personal things, a lot of things in my mind. Um, and when that conversation took place, I, you know, bless him, Sam, I kind of just, you know, there was a lot of baggage and a lot of stuff that came out. And I think the kind of, the thing that we realized is just that, like, I was trying to make peace with, like, all the things that I'd gone, that I'd gone through as a kid and the kind of displacement of, having like left Libya and living in the UK and just having a lot of guilt and a lot of nostalgia. And um, yeah, that just kind of came out in conversation. And uh, we were just like, yeah, this, you know, there's a lot here. Yeah. I think the story that there's, so there's a lot of kind of like Adam's kind of real backstory and experiences and kind of Libya and queerness and kind of a Muslim identity and all these things that's kind of, you know, Adam's backstory, I think, but I think the, the moment for me, which was really like, okay, there's a film in this, was we were both talking about Canal Street, and Adam, when we go out on Canal Street in Manchester together, we'll be wearing an amazing, like, mesh dress with a kind of 12-foot train or something, and everyone's heads are turning, and, you know, and I just think Adam looks like, you know, he belongs on Canal Street, 
And then you kind of revealed to me, like, no, I don't feel like I belong there at all. You know, it's like, it's kind of for white people, right? It's for people with six packs and blonde hair and blue eyes, whatever. Um, and I could reveal, I feel like I don't belong on, on Canal Street as well. And, you know, I'm meant to. I'm, I'm a white guy, you know, like I should fit in on Canal Street. So it's kind of like, hang on, if neither of us feel like we don't fit in on Canal Street, then what hope does this 17-year-old guy living in tunnels beneath Tripoli mm. have of fitting in? And then that kind of, we baked the line, you know, to be truly gay, you have to be British. So he has this misguided idea. And I'd, and I'd been in Libya in 2018, around April time. And I spent sort of like around like a month there. And it was really shocking, like really shocking. Because I'd gone there thinking, oh, I'm going to like go to a worn, torn country with my cousins. And they're all, it's all going to be like, you know, mm-hmm. people that are like ashamed of them, you know, ashamed of themselves. And it's going to be awful. Actually, like. I walked in, like, to, yeah, went there, met the most amazing queer people that were, like, living these really thrilling lives um, and kind of had this entire different life to me that, to be honest, I was like, I would much rather be part of that, you know, than what I'd experienced. Because I thought I was, like, living in the West and I was, like, very kind of, like, caught up in, like, just very kind of, um, I don't know, a very kind of privileged kind of mindset and just seeing the kind of lives that they lived and like the kind of things they had to do in order to be able to like spend time together and to be able to sustain these really complex relationships and beautiful friendships. I was like, Jesus, like this is not what I expected, you know? And I always tell the story. I spent time with my best friend um, at his uh, home and in the backyard, like, we could literally hear gunshots and there was like missiles and, and things. It was like literally in the middle of a war and we were like lip syncing to Katy Perry's fireworks and having the time of our lives, you know? And it was like the backdrop for this like performance. And then look, we took turns turning the camera around and filming each other. And like, I remember like he had a pool, but it was empty. So we like, we were in like, like singing and dancing in the pool down there. Like it was just like, I was like, wow, I've never experienced this kind of joy. Um, where you, you, you play the character plays is Britannia. Britannia. And I think knowing what you've just said, your, your sort of attitude towards Canal Street, it does paint a very different picture, doesn't it? Because Britannia that I saw originally, mm-hmm. in my heart bled and I was feeling really sorry and, mm-hmm. and, and sympathetic. And in a strange way, you were taking the piss mm-hmm. on one level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's incredibly streetwise, incredibly smart. You know, he's got like beautiful painted nails, but they're also chipped because, you know, he can like change entire, but he can also like do like beautiful makeup. And like, he's just like the, like the, the, I don't know, like, it's just, it's, yeah, the, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. but part of it is, you're right, playing into the audience's expectation of, of kind of a queer Libyan story, where it's like, of course he's going to want to go to Britain. And you, I kind of like the challenge of the film for us is how do we get to the audience to a place where they themselves start to doubt, hang on, do we want this guy to get to Britain? Because the narrative is always escape means to win. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for a lot of people, um, you know, there are great charities like Rainbow Railroad, which really help people, kind of queer refugees around the world. And for a lot of people, escape is still the only option. But I think it's just important to start telling the story that maybe it doesn't have to be the way. Maybe there could be a queer identity for Libyans and for people, you know, in the rest of North Africa and the Middle East. And in the same way, I don't want to assume, you know, who's the strongest character or who as, you know, is demanding attention, performing as an extra in a film, I'm, I'm sure both of you were quite strong. You must be to be able to, to, to create this film. 
How does that work in practice? How do you get two people who are clearly passionate, clearly have an idea about what they want to achieve? How did you actually share that responsibility when you came to making the film? And I'm not asking you to <laughs> no, pitch against is, each no, other, but, but it's, you know what? it's difficult. interesting no, to know. It was re- yeah, because obviously you have to bear in mind like why I wanted to make sure I was co-directing. Um, there's a great deal of ownership I have over the story and protection. And like, it's, you know, when, although I don't care so much about what people think, I do care that I'm, what I guess I'm trying to say is I'm aware that there aren't many portrayals, if any, of the queer scene in Libya. So when you put a film like that out there, there's a lot of things to think about. Firstly, that the community itself want you to do them justice and to tell their story the right way, not fall into the tropes or the traps of all that stuff. I also was thinking, well, what if someone that was straight didn't agree with the message of the film and was Libyan watched this? I would want him to watch them to watch this and think, I maybe don't agree with their lifestyle, but I can sympathize and I can, I can understand what they might be going through. You know what I mean? And then the other thing was for people that aren't or have maybe have never, actually, you'll be surprised, many people don't know Libya or haven't even heard of Libya. You say Libya, they're like Lebanon, Lithuania. But anyway, for those people to watch it and think, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. There were queer people in Libya and people mm-hmm. like you like putting a face to the, you know what I mean? Um, so there was a lot of ownership to that. And also the obvious thing, Sam doesn't speak Arabic, isn't Arabic. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to help with all that stuff. So there was a lot of stuff like that in there. So yeah. I can see the jeopardy. I can see yes. the responsibility. I can see this has got to be spot on. It's got yes. to work for, for a number of different reasons. Yes. Sam, I think you said it's quite difficult. Yeah, he did. So do you want to? Yeah, it's really difficult. It's really difficult, I think, because we both have um, very different perspectives at times on what um, what something needs to be. But I think it's been really good for me, definitely, to work with Adam because Adam's got such an actor's perspective that sometimes I can be so kind of like mechanical to the point of clinical about story, and this has to be this, and we have to feel this at this point because then this doesn't make sense at this point here. And Adam would bring it right back to reality and just say like you know, well, this person here, they need to smear their makeup off because they feel like, you know, and I'd say, why, why, why? It doesn't make sense, you know, in the writing process. And then I'd be kind of sat in some Costa trying to like come up with something. We'd, we'd split off and both develop the story together. And then I'd be thinking, why is, why has Adam said this? Doesn't make sense. And then suddenly it would be like, of course, because you'd feel anxious at this point. You need to feel like you want, you know what I mean? So it would just, it, it was um, difficult because Adam was right. <laughs> I was actually just but, about to say, was it because there was respect from either side, mm. so that although you might not have had your own way, there was a, there was a different way and that might have been possibly... But, but also, yeah. we're, I don't also think, like, I also think we're not kind of, it felt like a collaboration completely, entirely, completely. Through, you know, and that yeah. also included like the cast, like that it was encouraged for everyone to feel like they can... To watch know, the takes back after we shot them and yeah. talk about what, what story are we telling here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, weird yeah. hierarchies that are created on film and I don't understand why we have this weird like, no, no, you can't see this, yeah. you can't see this. We can't, this is a secret, we're not going to let you know what we're it doing It was next. an incredibly queer set, I have to say as yeah. well. Yeah. Incredibly yeah. queer set. Like, this, it was always a safe space. Everyone was always... Um, encouraged to kind of like be themselves and to yeah. feel comfortable and like we made an effort to like visibly queer so that you know because I've been on sets when I've been asked to perform and be myself but then the people behind the camera 
actually make me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was none of that on our side. We, we actually, um, this is a bit personal, but why not? I think it's important to talk about this. We actually fired a number of people after the first day because we just didn't feel comfortable around, um, around them on set, which is hard because we wrapped at 11.30 at night on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And we were filming the next morning at 10. So we had like zero time. So people were getting trains from London to kind of, you know, but we, it was just so important to us that it was like, you know, practice what you want to preach. Yeah, the values you have to... The values we just had to keep up with. So yeah, it's really, really important to us. Um, it was difficult. I think the collaboration was difficult because we both cared so much, I think. Well, I'm, I'm almost speechless. That is, uh, that is um, commendable on one mm. level. Sorry to the people that unbelievably, <laughs> unbelievably brave as well. But I guess you know if you've invested so much time and effort, and it's so important, it's got to work. So maybe that is a is a very useful piece of information to make sure you know yeah. that you've got the right people with you. Basically. The thing that Sam said to me, and I carry this with me every day: don't settle. And that is my I will say to anyone. Don't settle. If it's something that's personal, you care about the story and you care about what you're doing, don't settle. You're lucky if you get to make a film once a year, you know, very lucky in fact. So why would you, for the sake yeah. of four days of filming? Well, all, all I can say, my, I'm, 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 I feel blessed being able to share this moment with you because every now and again you meet talent and you kind of know their lives are going to change quite dramatically. And, I, and of course I know what you've been doing, both of you. So sort of as we sort of come to the end of this very quick half hour, mm. um, Sam, do you want to tell us what you've been doing? Because obviously you've, you know, one of them has changed my life. And every, <laughs> every, um, do you want to share some of your yeah. um, projects post Baba? Briefly. Uh, when Baba. We finished, Baba. Baba. Thank you, Adam. When we finished filming Baba, I went on to a Netflix show as the director's assistant uh, called Heartstopper, which has just come out. Heartstopper? Heartstopper. Oh, is that any good? I think it's wonderful. I think it's really lovely as a show. And of course you get to work with the fabulous Welsh director. Eros Lynn. Eros Lynn, the kindest man that's ever walked the planet. I really mean that, hand on heart. Um, yeah, which was just an amazing experience and, and got to direct a bit of that as well and, and had quite a hands-on role, which was really lovely. Can I interject briefly, just a quick one? Did you know at that point it was going to be what it's turned out to be? We all hoped. We all hoped, I think, because it had a real set energy on set, I think, of a, a truthfulness, um, which is rare, I think. Um, but you never know. You know, with queer stuff, I think you kind of, you always hope that people will understand, but it's such a nuanced story, you know, a 14-year-old openly gay boy, you know, trying to, you know, looking at someone's Instagram post to try and work out if they're queer or not. It's such a uniquely nuanced story you wonder if it's ever going to break through that kind of 13 to 15 year old queer. But you do know you've been involved in the history of LGBT <laughs> story making and it will be one of those five key events. Yes, I and I will say as well, from the minute I saw the call out and the way that they were going about the casting, yeah. I was just like immediately, when you kind of build a show on, uh, on that foundation and those kind of values, it's, you know, destined for greatness. And I will say my best friend Yasmin Vinny plays Elle in the show and the things that she's doing and the way that it's been able to change her life and I've seen her grow and evolve as a person through making the show, it, it's so incredibly special. Yeah. And then you've been working on something else as well. Yeah, aside from that, I'm writing um, my first feature film at the moment, 
Um, I recently got a wonderful agent, Matthew Bates, which is which is lovely, and um, have a very exciting directing project, which is in the pipeline. And no you further questions. Work, and you want to work on the Crown? <laughs> yes. Yeah. On the, cr- the Crown. crown five. I'm not sure if I can talk about working on the Crown. The crown. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe I just. <laughs> no, no. I think you might. Yeah. Not yeah. sure if you. Okay. Should we yeah. move on? I think we should move on okay. from there. I've gone all red. Good. And then, and then Adam, um, I know that come September, you will be probably a very well-known face on British television. Yeah, BBC mm. One, darling. Yeah. BBC One, you're right. <laughs> Are you, well, I know you're allowed to share because I did a bit of Googling and, and, and I have seen your um, person, as it were, in an ensemble picture of, of the, the classic. Oh, no, yeah, no. I play Kai Sharif on Watley Road. He's an openly gay basketball player. <laughs> In the school, um, I, I, it's an honor to be able to play, to be able to play an openly gay Arab Muslim uh, teen who's not, it doesn't fall into the tropes of like a tragedy story. Actually, he radiates love and energy and beams like so much positivity into everyone's life. Um, and it's so exciting to be on like part of like the Waterloo Road like history and like legacy. Um, and as a, you know, you know, a proud uh, mank, it's just, it's really special because I saw so many of my friends go on that show and see them like it's changed their lives. So I'm I feel incredibly honored. Um, and yeah, I also have a it does it, it, it's Baba lots, has changed my life. Lots I have of to exciting say. things. I have a new them. agent. You know, I I was auditioning for uh, things. I just yeah. a lot of really cool <laughs> things, and I'm very excited. That's all I can yeah. say. Well, can I just say we're very excited as well because you've got one other project to complete as well, haven't you? We do. Yeah, we do. We do. We're very excited. Yeah. Have you got any ideas about what you want to make with the Irish prize? I think we should discuss those on yeah. the podcast. No so further questions. There's no further questions. <laughs> well, on, on the basis, there's no further questions. All I can say is, um, yeah, we're really, well, we're really excited. We're really super, super excited to, um, yeah, to take that and uh, maybe expand stories that you've seen before that we've worked on together, or, or, or what we might see Britannia, or find something completely oh, new, or find Britannia. Oh my god! But, I'll um, be very excited as well when 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 we know what you want to do. Yes. Yeah. So the email's so, coming. The email's coming. <laughs> um, so um, Sam, Adam, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. And if you've been excited by the talk today, you might get even more excited if you go to all four, where you can see Baba. 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 <laughs> by the way, it's actually just Baba. Yeah. <laughs> you shit. <laughs> And on that note, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.